is Corbin Granger and Barbara Jennings from Town Benefits, a subsidiary of Town Bank. And you are listening to an episode of HR on Mike. We're here to help employers navigate the complicated maze of human resources and compliance requirements by offering common sense analysis and suggestions on a variety of HR and compliance questions. Thank you for listening today. Remember, we're not lawyers or accountants, so our content is not legal or tax advice, but is for educational purposes only. Always consult an expert when you need legal or tax help. We have a really good show today that's going to be a big help to employers. Barbara, can you tell us the topic that's on tap in this episode? Sure. In this podcast episode, we're going to talk about something that can affect pretty much any employer and provide employers with practical information about illegal harassment, how to identify it, and what to do if an employee claims to have been harassed. Helping employers add some tools to their HR management toolkit is the number one goal of our podcast. That's right. And just to um, discuss for a second, the term sexual harassment was first used in 1974, and the first legal case involving sexual harassment occurred in the mid-1970s. So when people hear the word harassment, Barbara, I think sexual harassment is probably what comes to mind for most people. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely think that's true. Um, That's probably because of all the high-profile sexual harassment cases that have occurred over the years. But, you know, sexual harassment is really just part of the story. As the concept of illegal harassment has developed, two forms of harassment have actually emerged. Okay, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Can you pick me? Because I know this one. I know this. So let's see. There is... Quid pro quo harassment and hostile environment harassment. Exactly. And if I had a prize, you would win it today. Oh, thank you. Yes. And um, we're actually going to talk more about those two in a minute. But as you can see, the concept of harassment really hasn't evolved over the years. Uh, In addition to the two forms, harassment now goes beyond just sexual harassment and includes harassment on the basis of things like race, religion, pregnancy, and other legally protected characteristics. And this is one reason why employers are encouraged to have a general harassment policy rather than specifically a sexual harassment policy. The policy should also address both forms that Corbin so eloquently answered quid pro quo and hostile environment. Yes, I also think the word harassment is very confusing. So um, why don't we just dive in and can you talk a little bit about what harassment actually is? Yeah, harassment is definitely a word that gets thrown around a lot in the context of employment. And unfortunately, not everyone who uses it understands what it means. First of all, harassment is a form of employment discrimination, and that violates multiple laws, and that includes Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Age Discrimination and Employment Act of 1967, which we also call the ADEA, and the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, which we commonly refer to as the ADA. Yeah, we throw around a lot of letters in this field, right? Um, So you can see that the concept of illegal harassment is very broadly construed. Yeah, and it also has a couple of components. So first, harassment is unwelcome conduct that is based on race, color, religion, sex, pregnancy, national origin, older age, disability, and genetic information. Now, it becomes unlawful where, one, enduring the offensive conduct becomes a condition of continued employment. And that's the quid pro quo form, this for that. Or two, the conduct is severe or pervasive enough 
to create a work environment that a reasonable person would consider intimidating, hostile, or just plain abusive. And that, of course, is the hostile environment form. And finally, anti-discrimination laws also prohibit retaliation against an employee for filing a discrimination charge or for opposing employment practices that they reasonably believe discriminate against individuals. Right. And an example of that might be something seemingly as innocuous um, as throwing an over-the-hill party for somebody who's turning 50 and, you know, having the kind of requisite gag gifts and the cake with the black icing and that sort of thing. You know, somebody could perceive of that as a discriminatory employment practice. And um, disciplining or firing an employee for complaining about the -the over-the-hill party could be interpreted as being retaliatory. As silly as that may seem to most of us, you know, it's always a risk when you engage in age-related, you know, employee communications and mocking and that sort of thing. Now, some of what we're talking about here sounds like legal ease. We think it's important to get into the mind of the EEOC and understand it from the EEOC's point of view. What we're concerned with here is illegal harassment. Illegal harassment. So you mean there are some forms of harassment that are illegal? Yeah, I know. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? But yeah, it's technically true. Um, while we were working on this podcast, I happened to think about a song by one of my favorite singers and songwriters, Paul Simon. And this song has nothing to do with illegal harassment, but it pretty much sums up the problem with trying to define such harassment. And that song is called One Man's Ceiling is Another Man's Floor. In other words, a lot depends on our point of view. Yeah, it it really, really does. Perception is reality. Exactly. And so let's say, for example, on a Monday morning, a group of employees is talking about the Sunday's NFL games, right? And as part of that conversation, Jason says to Debbie, you're a Cowboys fan? I thought you had a brain or at least an IQ greater than your shoe size. Now, Debbie takes offense at that and tells HR, she says, I take stuff like that with a grain of salt, but I'm not sure that the company should tolerate such a hostile work environment. Now, if that's all there was to the negative comment situation, then Jason's negative comment is probably not what the EEOC would consider a hostile environment or illegal harassment. And here is something else the EEOC says. Yeah, the EEOC says that petty slights, annoyances, and isolated incidents, unless they're extremely serious, will not rise to the level of illegality. To be unlawful, the conduct must create a work environment that would be intimidating, hostile, or offensive to reasonable people. And then remember the things that harassment applies to. Harassment is unwelcome conduct that is based on race, color, religion, sex, which includes sexual orientation and gender identity, pregnancy, national origin, older age, disability, and genetic information. Yeah. So, you know, as you may have guessed, football fandom is not a protected characteristic. And on top of that, there is no general legal requirement that employees have to be nice to each other or even be civil. Now, don't get us wrong. It doesn't make good business sense to allow a few employees to create negativity in your workspace. But that doesn't mean that being grumpy or snarky rises to the level of illegal harassment. Thank goodness. Grumpy is something that most of us wrestle with every now and then. Um, But now, what if Jason has a habit of singling out, say, women for his nasty and insulting comments on football Monday? Yeah, so that's a really good point. So... To quote Dorothy's carriage driver in The Wizard of Oz, that could be a horse of a different color. 
So let's continue that and say that Jason has never been shy about opining that women are just too dumb to know the difference between a linebacker and a receiver and that they shouldn't even be allowed to be football fans. And he actually saved some other choice insults just for the female employees. This gets to the point that they no longer feel comfortable joining the Monday morning employee gathering because they're just sick of hearing it. So let's see. Could Jason's conduct be perceived as unwelcome conduct that is based on race, color, religion, sex, etc.? Well, in this scenario, I would say yes. Now, it's possible that Jason is engaging in illegal harassing behavior based on sex because he's insulting only his female co-workers. And he does this to the point that they change their behavior and give up an activity they used to enjoy, even though the topic is really just football. Right. Employers should keep in mind that if the conduct is severe or pervasive enough to create a work environment that a reasonable person would consider intimidating, hostile, or abusive, and again, I'm referring back to the EEOC's definition, that such behavior may be in the category of illegal harassment. Exactly. Now, a smart employer is going to put an immediate stop to Jason's behavior for a couple of obvious reasons. This doesn't necessarily mean you need to punish or fire Jason, but it probably means starting with a conversation about needing to treat others as we want to be treated and also making it clear to him that insulting behavior doesn't add anything to a company's culture and that singling out specific groups or members of specific groups for insults can rise to the level of illegal harassment. This is something the company cannot and will not tolerate. Finally, it could have a negative impact on the perpetrator, in this case, Jason, up to and including termination. The absolute last thing the employer wants to do is ignore it, or really even worse, tell the women to just, you know, get over it, just disappointed because his team lost, so put your big girl pants on today, and that sort of thing. The employer acting quickly to eliminate the bad behavior is the right thing to do. Employers want to protect themselves from EEOC charges and lawsuits, but also want to protect company culture from bullies, incivility, negativity, and that sort of thing. If you haven't guessed it yet, our football case would be an example of hostile work environment harassment. That's right. And so let's now change gears and talk for a minute about the other kind of harassment, quid pro quo, which means this for that. So quid pro quo harassment tends to be more obvious and pretty much always involves a boss or supervisor and a subordinate. I'm sure we've all heard of cases where a boss demands a sexual favor from a subordinate in exchange for, say, a promotion or they threaten to outright fire the subordinate who refuses to comply. If and when such a situation comes to light, it needs to be handled immediately and in a non-retaliatory manner. Um, I can't believe how much this makes me think of the AMC show Mad Men. Totally. Yeah, which was set in the 1960s. And if you're familiar with that show, it was kind of a textbook case of what kind of environment a smart employer wants to avoid. It really is cringeworthy in that way. It is. It's unfortunate. No, not unfortunate. It was a really great show, one of my favorites. But man, every episode I could have, you know, filled a page of a legal pad on what not to do. Um, now, the employers need to remember that anti-discrimination laws also prohibit harassment against individuals in retaliation for firing a dis firing <laughs> HR coming out right. Um, in retaliation for filing a discrimination charge, testifying or participating in any way in an investigation, proceeding, or lawsuit, or opposing employment practices that they reasonably believe discriminate against individuals 
in violation of the law. So that's why it's so important for employers to take some steps to limit the opportunities for harassment and provide a reporting procedure if an employee feels that they've been harassed. So here are four things for employers to consider. Right. Number one, the employer should have an anti-harassment policy in writing, and that should be available to all employees. It should be in the handbook. You can post it on bulletin boards, maybe with the employment posters, and you probably should distribute it periodically to all employees. You know, harassment can take many, many forms, and there are potential harassment channels. So make sure that your written policy mentions electronic channels such as email, text, voicemails, and IMs. Employers should also conduct regular training, like I would recommend annually, for both staff and management. And remember that the staff training and management training is really two different kinds of training. Supervisors have a higher duty when they manage people. They need to know how to spot harassment, and then they need to know what to do if an employee makes a complaint. Right. And employees actually need to know how to report harassment and they should know that no employee will be penalized or punished for making a good faith report of harassment. Now, that could be on their own behalf or on behalf of someone else. And finally, there should be an investigation procedure. Conducting investigations is actually a skill. And a lot of times, for most of us, that skill needs to be learned. For example, receiving a report of harassment doesn't mean that the employer has to run out and fire the offender on the spot. Right. But whether a claim of harassment is successfully handled or ends up in court is greatly influenced by the action or even worse, the inaction of the employer. Right. And um, as I think it's easy to glean from this podcast episode, harassment is obviously a complicated matter. And sometimes the, an employer that isn't prepared, unfortunately, has to learn how to deal with an incident on the fly, and that can lead to trouble. So we encourage you to be proactive and prepared. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you. Any final thoughts on managing harassment, Corbin? Yeah. Don't let a complaint linger. Respond quickly. Remember that minor violations of the policy, those can easily be handled by HR, you know, through means such as counseling the offender. But you should always seek the advice of a lawyer when necessary. Now, this information provided is a very general overview of a complicated topic. So we recommend that companies provide in-depth training for their HR staff in order to better create a positive workplace culture and to avoid potential legal liability. And Corbin, with that, we wrap up another episode of our HR on Mike podcast. We really hope that you're going to join us again for future episodes. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it, please give us a like. For comments, suggestions, or questions, please reach out to us at Town Benefits. And that's T-O-W-N-E. Our email address is Town Benefits Compliance and townbenefits.com. And again, town is T O W N E. Products sold by Town Benefits are not deposits, are not insured by FDIC or any other government insurance, and they may lose value. We hope you enjoyed that legally required disclaimer and hope you have a sunny and successful day.